Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Well, tonight, the book of Revelation, session 58, the primary sins of the final generation. Now, what we're going to do in this session, it might be uh, interesting to you or new to you that the book of Revelation doesn't just say there's going to be a bunch of people being wicked. It actually talks about the specific areas of sin that are going to be prominent in the last days. And I'll give a little disclaimer that the ones that we're going to look at tonight are not the only things going to be going on, but they are the four that are uh, going to be predominant. And actually, as we start to look at what these four are and start to see them in, in light of the way that the Word speaks about them, it's very troubling uh, when these four take priority, take a precedence uh, in the earth. And what we're going to do is uh, we're going to look at uh, these four sins, specifically uh, from Revelation chapter 20, I'm sorry, Revelation 9, 20 through 21. We're going to look at these four, and this is kind of the tail end of the trumpet judgments. Uh, and at the end of the trumpets, um, we see the angel giving information. We see John writing things down. And after these crazy trumpet judgments have just occurred, which we just got done with in this series over the course of the past number of, uh, of sessions, after these are done, it says this in Revelation 9, verse 20 through 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the works of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or, talk or, or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Now, <clears throat> what we're going to look at is we're going to look at these four that were listed there at the end, murder, magic arts, or you could say sorcery or witchcraft, sexual immorality, or theft. Uh, these four, we're going to look at them from a number of different angles, a number of different directions, because uh, it's important that we recognize when John is writing the book of Revelation, there aren't extra phrases in there that aren't important. There's not extra words and lines and verses that don't serve any purpose. These are actually supposed to help us to understand what these, uh, when all these judgments happen, all the seven seals and the seven trumpets, and now everybody on the planet has been made wildly aware of God. Everybody. Lost, saved, thought they were saved. Everybody now knows that is God. He is real, and he is mad. We have been bad, and he is mad. And after the whole planet is really sure about that, it says they refused to repent. And then it gives a list of the things that they refuse to repent of. And the reason this list is this list is because these are the main things they're doing. These are the main things that are going on. It doesn't mean they're the only sins that are going on. It's not like, oh, they were willing to repent of this, this, and this, but they were unwilling to repent of these four. They're unwilling to repent of everything. But John tells us what the four primary sins are of which they won't repent because those are the four primary sins that are operating in culture. Those are the four primary sins that are operating in the generation. I mean, these are going to be the four top things that are occurring. Whenever we read all these verses, it talks about wickedness rising at the end of the age. 
talking about wickedness reaching its fullness, that kind of thing, you want to be viewing it through the lens of these four sins. Again, every other sin, true, that's all real, but these are the four that John specifically mentions. They refuse to stop doing these things, even though God had made it abundantly clear he was judging the earth because of them, okay? They refuse to repent. That concept of refusal to repent. I want to read you this verse out of Romans 1, 18 through 22, because I think while this has always been true, and when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he wasn't specifically in this passage talking about the end times, but man, when you read it in light of the end times, it makes all the more sense. I mean, it makes double sense in light of what we're talking about here. In the midst of all this, they're futile in their thinking. Look what it says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them. There'll never be a time that that's more true. Because God has made it plain to them, so that the people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither, neither glorified Him nor gave thanks to Him, but their, in their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings. I mean, this just so perfectly depicts what is occurring in Revelation chapter 9, 20 and 21. Right after God has made him, his presence, his goodness, his nearness, his realness so abundantly clear, they neither glorify him nor repent. Instead, it says they refused to repent. Instead, they worshiped what their hands had made. Exactly what we're reading here in, in Romans uh, chapter 1. <coughs> well, another detail that's important. It's all tied up in, those, uh, in the four sins, but <clears throat> it's a detail that was made abundantly clear by John in Revelation 9.20. It says the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the works of their hands, they did not stop worshiping demons. we got to understand, we're talking about an hour of human history that will look very, very different than it does right now. Right now, there is a very little bit of demon worship happening. It happens, but it is so little and light by comparison to what's coming. What's coming is open, overt, on purpose, loud, on the radio, demon worship. That's what's coming. Now, it's hard to believe in our culture, semi-civilized as it is these days, thinking about things devolving to that point, but that is a promise in the Word of God. We are headed towards an hour where the majority of the human race will be worshiping demons on purpose with pet names and pet practices and pet policies of how you worship that demon and how you worship that demon. We're talking about a culture that is going to be inundated with demon worship. So now, with that being the case, if you just think about, you know, I don't know, seven out of ten people worshiping demons, now you go, okay, well, I guess any crazy list of sins could be on the table. I mean, because if they're waking up and they're worshiping demons, and in the middle of the day they worship demons, and at night they go to bed and worship demons, I mean, it's like, yeah, you're probably talking about a demonized culture that is going to be uh, engulfed in the most heinous of acts and sin and wickedness. I gave you the Revelation 9.20. 
But there's a few more verses, top of the page, if you go to page two, just to give you, these are, again, out of Revelation. People worship the dragon. That's, he's talking about Satan. Because he had given authority to the beast. Oh, yeah, and they also worship the beast. Worship the beast. He's called the beast, for crying out loud. Don't worship anybody who's called the beast. And it says that they don't. They, they will not repent. They won't stop worshiping. The, they won't stop worshiping Satan, and they won't stop worshiping the beast. And they won't stop worshiping Satan because he anointed the beast. This is demon worship, open demon worship. Revelation 14, 11. There'll be no rest day or night for, the, for those who worship the beast and its image. Worship its image. Idol worship. Demon worship. Revelation 19, 20. The false prophet had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and had worshipped its image. I, I just want us to understand. We're headed into an hour where men's minds will no longer be mostly under their control. They will have given that control over to demons. That's where we're headed. That's what the, the culture of the book of Revelation is defining what the world will look like. We're talking about heading into a very dire time. It's why we need to be all the more children of the light and children of the day now. We got to be walking in the truth and know the word of God and let the light of Christ shine through us and follow the Lord and love truth, love obedience, love righteousness. We can't give ourselves to sin. I guarantee you, if you interviewed the planet right now, let's say... I don't know how long it is before Jesus comes back, but let's say it's 20 years. Just play the game with me. If you went around and interviewed the planet right now, and you only interviewed those that would still be alive when Jesus is here in 20 years, again, made up time frame, and you asked them, do you think you'll worship demons in 20 years? I bet you like less than 1% by a long shot would say, yeah, I'm gonna worship demons. No one would agree to that. And yet, the majority of the earth will worship demons. How is that going to happen? A little bit at a time. One little step at a time. One step into darkness, then another step into darkness, then another. One more piece of compromise. One more callousing of the heart. One step at a time. That's how you wind up in open demon worship. Not from being a fiery hot believer in Jesus and the next day you're worshiping demons. That's not how that goes. It is the slow cook. And we want to be careful as here's the big, the, the big trigger for us tonight. We know where things are going. We would be wise to pay attention so that we do not fall into the trap. That's the point. That's the reason we're told about it ahead of time so that we would be careful and not wind up going the way of the world. All right. Now I put on here just a little kind of intro point, part D. We're going to approach tonight these four sins from four different angles that are found in Revelation and in the other end time scriptures because I don't want to make a bold statement like these are the four primary sins of the final generation and then not back it up. That seems like probably a bad plan. I want you to see from multiple angles, these are absolutely going to rise to be the primary sins in the final generation and that's going to cause great trouble. Think about what the world is like when one of the top four sins is sorcery. I mean, we know, we know nothing of that. There are parts of the world where that might be a little bit into the culture, a little bit more than it is in our world. There's sorcery going on. There's a little bit of witchcraft, but it's not like everybody's doing witchcraft. What about when murder is so normal that when assessing a generation, you go, oh yeah, everybody's murdering people. It's normal to murder. This is terrifying. 
This is what we're talking about. The sexual immorality, we could believe, but we can't believe where it's going. We have no revelation of where this is going. Because it's going to escalate in as much as the murder thing is, as the theft thing is, as the sorcery thing is. These are going to be on the rise. So let's look at it from four different angles. First, just as a little uh, <clears throat> point of reference, the sins of Jezebel. Jezebel is told to have a reprise in the last days. And so we'll look at uh, those ever so briefly. The sins of the Antichrist regime. The sins of the end time church. Oh, no. And the sins of Babylon. These are the four angles we're going to look at. But before we do, I'm just going to give an overview of the four. <clears throat> Giving you kind of a, the picture here. I, I just, I want us to walk away tonight challenged, stirred, and committed to be thinking, praying about, reading, researching these four sins to see if they're really in, in the end time plan as the primary. I don't mean get preoccupied and make this, you know, your new hobby. But what I do mean is this is shocking that there's four sins that are called out in such a, an overt way. And they are murder, witchcraft, uh, theft, and sexual morality. For those to be the four. So let's just look at them. <clears throat> Mark chapter 13, verse 12 and 13, or through 13, bottom of page two here. Brother will betray brother to death. Oh, no. And a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Jesus, stop talking. Stop saying this stuff. Stop. La, la, la. We're not listening. This, these are the words of Jesus. He's describing the culture of the, king, of the earth at the end of the age. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Top of page three. They have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you've given them blood to drink as they deserve. That's so intense. Murder becoming one of the primary sins of the earth. Just think about it right now and try to do a little tally in your head of what you would think the four primary sins are right, <clears throat> right now in America. <clears throat> Just think about whatever those are. The ones that are like happening the most, happening the loudest, happening the most frequently. Murder is not on that list. <laughs> it just isn't. But it's going to be. That's really intense. Sexual immorality. Revelation 21, 7 through 8. Those who are victorious will inherit all but the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts and adulterers and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I don't know if you caught it, but there's that list again. <laughs> it's the same list. Different phrases, uh, different uh, terminology, but the same list. And here's at the end of the book of Revelation, this is now <clears throat> the revelation wrapping up. And the statement is made, Hey, anybody that gives in to the primary sins of the final generation, you're not going to heaven. <laughs> you're going to wind up in the lake of fire. I mean, this is really intense. <clears throat> and again, I included the, the one on there about sexual immorality. Theft, Isaiah 9, uh, 13, verse 16. They're infants. This is an end time passage. You can go look at the uh, context if you want. Their infants will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be looted and their wives violated. This is so intense. I just focusing on the house is looted, but that's actually the, the lightest portion of that verse. 
But that verse also then gets into these other primary sins. They're going to be happening. But houses looted. Sorcery or witchcraft. Micah 5.10. In that day, declares the Lord, I will destroy your witchcraft and you will no longer cast spells. I will destroy your idols and your sacred stones from among you. Nahum 3. Many casualties, piles of the dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. This is talking about the harlot Babylon at the end of the age, this, this entity that will infiltrate every area of society. And Nahum here is judging it, and Nahum is prophesying against it, saying, these are going to be the sins of the generation of the culture. And he lists in there, again, really all four of them. <clears throat> but I'm highlighting the witchcraft because it comes up a couple points in there. All right. Well, the sins of Jezebel, I'm not going to really spend any time on this one. I'm going to call this one a bonus uh, for you end time nerds. But <clears throat> if you look at Revelation chapter 2, I'll read you this verse. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Unless they repent of her ways, I will strike her children dead. The reason I'm giving you that verse specifically out of uh, Revelation 2, I want you to understand that there's a, there's a little, um, I'll give you kind of a, a bunny trail to go on. There is a promise of the reprise of the harlot Jezebel in the last days in a real way, having a real place and a, and a real purpose. And when you go and you look at what was she known for, what, what did she do, why was she so bad, why would it be bad for her to pop up again in the last days, why would that be a, a bad deal? It's because she was all about those four primary sins when you go and study her life. And I gave you the, the verse there that kind of gets into it. I'm going to skip over this section, but I just want to make it clear in Revelation, it says, I can't believe you put up with Jezebel. And this is Jesus rebuking the church. I can't believe you put up with Jezebel. I can't believe it. Did you guys learn nothing from round one, Jezebel? Did you learn nothing? I can't believe you put up with her. I'm going to deal with her strongly. I'm going to deal with you strongly. Well, what, in, what are the sins of Jezebel? They're the exact same four that we read about in Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 and 21. Let's move on. Let's go to Antichrist, which is one that will seem uh, a little bit more familiar now that we've been in the book of Revelation, as long as we have. The four primary sins marking Antichrist's reign, murder. This will be top on the list. I mean, you just can't imagine an, uh, a version of living under a government that the government, the thing the government does more than govern is murder. You just, that's mind-blowing where justice is gone, where prejudice is, I mean, extreme, and murder is normal. <clears throat> Revelation 13, verse 7, is given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. That conquering, by the way, is death. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Revelation 13, 15, a few verses later. Second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. All who refused to worship the image. Murder is going to be a primary reality under the rule of Antichrist. Now you remember, 
Jesus has just gotten done with the seals and the trumpets. And the response after seven seals and seven trumpets, that's 14 terrible things. The response is the people refuse to repent of murder. Part of that is their covenant into the Antichrist system. That's part of what's going on there. It's not all, but it's part of what's happening. Sexual immorality. In the very end, when we read Luke chapter 21, 34 through 35, this is top of page 6, Jesus says this. Now, I want you to, before we read the first part of it, I just want you to pay attention to the, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth, it will close suddenly like a trap. The time frame here that's being described is the very end. Not two decades before Jesus comes back, two minutes before Jesus comes back. I mean, in the, in the, the weeks, months, and year or so before Jesus comes back, that's when this is most active. That's when this verse is most applicable. It's applicable before that, but it is most applicable right before Jesus returns. Let's read it. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing. That's sexual immorality. It says, be careful in those days or you, this is Jesus talking to Christians. He says, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and the anxieties of life and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. The trap closes as people are being led astray into those things. It's not happening, you know, two decades before Jesus returns. The trap is actually Jesus returning. That's actually the, the context of what's occurring there, okay? Theft. <clears throat> want to just remind us of the, the wild things that occurred under Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany. The wild things related to the, the shift of a culture to normalize theft. People were giving up their Jewish neighbors. They were turning them in. People were giving up others that weren't Jewish but who were helping Jews. They were giving them up to the government, not even really so much because they were also mad at the Jews or mad at the Christians or mad at whatever, but actually because they wanted their house. And they knew if they gave them up, then they're gone to a concentration camp. And now their house is there and they can take their house. It actually become legalized in Nazi Germany. The confiscation of property, especially when it was related to narcs, when people gave up other people, they were rewarded with the property of those that they gave up. Now, I just want to say, if that's happened once, you better believe the big Adolf Hitler, Antichrist Hitler, is going to be thinking that way and beyond. What a powerful motivator for the wicked that are already worshiping demons and are already, their minds are already gone. Hey, if you guys find anybody that won't worship the beast, give them up. You get their house. I mean, that's theft. It's one of the primary, since see, greed, it really gets down to greed. That's what theft is. It's greed. And, and this, this whole thought process of greed manifesting in theft because there's other ways that greed can manifest. Jealousy, rage. But when greed manifests in theft and it's one of the primary things going on, there's nothing safe. There's nothing sacred. There's nothing... Ownership is very subjective. Who's alive right now holding the key? Oh, you're dead. Who's got the key now? Oh, you're dead. Who's got the key right now? It's very subjective. That creates chaos. For, this, for theft to be one of the primary sins of the final generation, we just can't even imagine a culture like that. I mean, that is 
unbelievable. It seems so like Neanderthal. It seems so archaic and unbelievable. Friends, we are going to devolve. The, the, the culture of the earth is going to get sicker and sicker. It's why Jesus wants us to walk with him in truth and in righteousness so that as darkness does in fact get darker, light would get brighter. We would be more alive in Jesus. <clears throat> the contrast would be even greater between those who are walking with the Lord and those who are not. That's what's supposed to happen. It's the wheat and the tares growing up together. The wheat getting stronger, better wheat. The tares getting stronger, better weeds. We're living in this generation. This is not a, a joke or a game. This is the context we're in right now that our children are growing up in, that we're growing up in. This is reality. We're living in a generation that is going to see these things become increasingly more real. Sorcery. I gave you some verses about theft there. Sorcery. <coughs> Revelation 13. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast and he had worshipped the beast. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. That the, the, uh, Worshipping demons, fellowshipping with demons, talking to demons, that's how witchcraft works. Witchcraft isn't like you just did weird little things in the air and then the air went, cool, I'll respond to you. Air doesn't respond to diddly squat. Demons do. Witchcraft is, is the operation of demonic spirits doing stuff on behalf of people with a price. But we need to understand when there's, when there's demon worship happening, there's a, a trans, uh, transaction in the spirit realm where witchcraft is now empowered. I mean, all these images of the beast around the world, or however many there are, they're going to talk. How the heck do they talk? There's going to be an anointing of the demonic. It's going to be witchcraft in operation sorcery. All right. Well, we're going to go quickly over the next couple of sections after this one. I'm going to do the, the ones of the church. <coughs> then we'll go quickly over the last two <clears throat> because I think the point will have been made and you'll have more verses there and pages to research if you want. Part five, sins within the church of the final generation. This one is the most concerning to me. You know, as long as darkness stays over there with darkness, I'm not so concerned. It's when darkness is growing inside of church congregations. It's when darkness is tolerated, celebrated, embraced inside of the church. That's where it's a problem. We need to be going, no, don't do that. No, no, come, come out of that darkness. Come live in the light. We need to not be high-fiving it and pacifying it. But look at the promise of where things are headed. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, this is the top of page 7. I just want you to read this with me. And I want your heart to kind of ache and groan because this is Paul prophesying what will be the case in the church. It's not everybody, but it's going to be way too many. Way too many. Way too much influence in the culture of the church. Way too prominent. It will not be everybody, but it's going to have way too much place in the end time church. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Mark this. 
There will be terrible times in the last days. This is Paul talking to Timothy about Timothy's charge as a leader. What, what's going to be going on in, in the minds of church leadership? People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. Having a form of godliness, we need to recognize Paul is not talking about the world being the world. That's other passages. Paul's talking about the church being the world. And he specifically says, mark this. Let me define for you significant trends in the church in the last days. Terrible, terrible things are coming. Terrible times, he says. People will be, they will have a form of godliness. They will still know how to say amen. They'll still come to church on Sunday. They will have a form of godliness. Still checkmark Christian on whatever cards you checkmark Christian on. I don't think I've ever checkmarked Christian on a card, but I've heard you do. <clears throat> a form of godliness, but they won't walk with God. They're actually going to be operating according to all this. Well, I don't know if you looked at it, but that list right there, the four sins are all up in that list. I mean, it's, like, it's almost like the, the four sins are divided into subgroups here. I mean, all of these fall into the, the, that uh, thought process. And I kind of broke that down in this section. <clears throat> Gave you a little bit. But I'm just saying this. If you're, without, if you're abusive without control, treacherous and rash and a lover of pleasure, you're going to be a murderer in just a minute. If you are brutal, you're, you're going to murder in just a moment. This is within the church. <clears throat> Again, the, the Matthew 24, you'll be handed over, persecuted, put to death, hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. Be, turn away from the faith, that means they were in the faith yesterday. They were going to church with you yesterday. They had a form of godliness, but they were denying the power. They had not yet come out as playing for the other team. Not yet. But in a moment they do and they betray each other. Betray like, hey, those people over there, they're against you, government. They're against you, Antichrist. They're against, by the way, can I have their house? That's what's going on here, okay? That is really intense within the church. See, let me just, let me take a step back for a second. From a pastoral standpoint, here is what really, really, really needs to happen in the church. It is so important. Do you know someone and you know they're in sin? Lovingly, you have to tell them. Otherwise, they're going to grow up into this. Because you don't start off here. You grow. You grow. You're either growing into truth or you're growing into darkness. But the church has such a culture of passivity related to knowing my friend is in total sin and saying nothing ever. You're helping them go to hell. You're empowering them. We need to lovingly figure out how to tell our brothers and sisters, I love you so much. I can't not say this. Like, do you know what the word says about this? Like, I love you. Let's help me help you help you. Like, I, like let's go on this journey together, but don't just let people continue to go to hell thinking everything's okay. It's not okay. 
this darkness is going to grow, but we've got such a culture that just makes sin so normal, so okay. It's totally not normal or okay. It takes us away from Jesus. It actually gives us steps towards hell. We're walking towards hell, though having a form of godliness. It's so important, lovingly, that we talk to our friends and our family members. We, we talk to them out of love, out of mercy, out of compassion. I mean, don't let this next point be the real reason you do it, but we are going to have to give an account for that. Like, we're going we're gonna to have to stand before the Lord and be like, you let that friend of yours totally walk into darkness, think, calling themselves a Christian, thinking everything was okay, and you said nothing because you didn't want to hurt their feelings? Because you were afraid they'd be mad at you? Oh, my gosh. That's cowardice. We have got to overcome cowardice. We have got to be loving to people. Now, you better figure out how to say it sweet and bring them brownies. You don't just go in there and beat up the sheep. You walk in there real sweet. But we got to say it. We've got to change the culture where we start to address sin with people that we know and love. Who's going to do it if you don't? Who will that be? Randomly, they're going to meet some prophet at the grocery store that's going to call them out. Oh, and... If that happened, they're going to respond real good to that random person at the grocery store, I promise. As opposed to you who loves them. See, the church is promised. These things are going to be growing trends. So we actually need to be good at it now because it's going to be really bad in a minute. And if we haven't been practicing at level one problems, we're going to totally fail at level 10. This has got to get into the culture. All right. <clears throat> four primary sins of the harlot uh, Babylon system. It's again, it's the same. I just gave you the same four every time. Just boom, 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 boom. But I gave you different verses that are talking specifically about that context. Again, harlot Babylon is a subject we will study uh, in depth when we get a little bit further in, in uh, our study in Revelation. But here's the gist of it for those of you who that term is still like the most bizarre sounding thing you've ever heard in your life. Like, Brad, please stop saying that on a microphone. The harlot Babylon is described in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, and she is called the mother of all prostitutes. And when you look at who is this she, who is this mysterious woman? She, if you needed to just get like oversimplistic, she is the culture of the day in the end times. But she is the culture of the day that will have the greatest measure of influence in government, in economics, and in religion globally. So she will be the, the leading culture of that day and hour in, uh, in all the earth. And when you start to look at what is the culture of the day in that hour, what these great influences, what is it going to be? It's going to be murder, sexual immorality, witchcraft, and theft. There it is again. And so I, I would encourage you to uh, look at this long enough outside of this meeting to where these ideas are not totally foreign where you could actually back up from the word, oh my gosh, witchcraft is going to like grow and be a really big thing. Murder. Theft is going to go way higher than a little bit of rioting, a little bit of looting, you know, some teenagers stealing a car. This is going to get really intense. And then the sexual immorality thing, again, right now, where we're at in what's permissive is only the beginning of, of the wild insanity of where things are going to go. 
Yeah, great question. So the, the question really about uh, how aware are people going to be when it reaches its height? How aware are people going to be that they're worshiping a demon? Uh, uh, you know, is it going to be overt or is it going to be more like, you know, this is my spirit animal. This is, you know, this is my invisible friend. I mean, it, you know, whatever. Uh, I think that it's going to start off a lot more playful than where it evolves to. Um, but where it evolves to is open demon worship. You, you need to recognize that when uh, you read the Old Testament accounts of all these pagan nations, they were worshiping idols and were totally understanding that there were forces behind those things that were gods of different sorts and, and even in some cases demons that they understood they would just think the demon was a good thing. Or, or, you know, if you're a bad guy and you're worshiping a bad guy, you think that's a good thing. It's, it's completely backwards. But, um, but so I, I think in, uh, in all honesty, where it's going to grow into is open demon worship. I mean, they're going to worship the dragon and they're going to know it's Satan and they're going to be happy about it. So, I mean, they're going to be worshiping Satan as Satan, not worshiping Satan as you know, the new spirit of economic success, you know, of the hour of the age. I mean, it's going to be, it's the dragons, it's Satan. So if you can worship Satan, you can certainly worship an underling. And so it's, uh, at its height, it will be overt. But you don't, you don't get to overt overnight. You get there through steps. And so that's why I think the question of, you know, what about a spirit guide and all these things? I think it's important that we're paying attention to the, the stepping stones that will get to full-on Satan worship. The planet is going to worship Satan and know it's Satan. I mean, he's like, he definitely counts as a demon, okay? And so, uh, so that's where it's going. But, but the reason that I think, you've heard me say it before, the reason I think the harlot Babylon is the single most important subject for the church to understand in the end time drama. And I think it's also probably the subject that the church has the least understanding about is the subject of the Harlot Babylon because it's all the slow progression of culture into what it graduates into is full-on Satan worship. But it doesn't start there. It starts way low compromise and and give in and come on it's okay this is everybody's doing it i mean that's the whole spirit of the age kind of thought process and so uh so i think it it grows um so great question uh, and of course there'll also still be lesser versions but there's going to be a lot of the full-on real deal worshiping demons knowing they're demons but thinking that they're somehow good because you've made covenant with them you know i mean that's that that's the confusing part about deception and sin is if you're deceived you don't know it and there's going to be so many deception is the primary uh condition uh you know of the end time uh culture is deception then leading people in to believe it they're calling evil good and good evil but but they're really calling it that they're really believing yeah demon worship it's great we all love it i mean that's the thought process and they're calling evil good, but they, they are believing that that thing that they're doing is actually beneficial and right and culturally acceptable and, and the right way forward. So uh, good, good question. Great question. So uh, really the question, I'll rephrase the question, then you nod at me or no at me if I don't get 
right in the right ballpark. Uh, really, the question is, uh, how do we handle persecution and how do we handle aggression that has nothing to do with persecution, has to do with evil people being evil, okay? Um, and uh, I think that those, those lines are actually clearer uh, than uh, perhaps we uh, would, would take them to be. Um, you know, in the Word, there's lots of uh, occasions of people defending their property, defending their families, defending their their cities, defending their whatever, and that defending would even go as far as killing the aggressor, okay? Uh, there's plenty of biblical precedent for that, plenty of it. Now, where the turn the other cheek comes is when you're being persecuted because you're a Christian, and that looks very different. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a very different scenario. They're, they're coming against you because you're a Christian, they're persecuting you because you're a Christian. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Jesus says, don't return an insult for an insult. Uh, but if someone's invading your home because they're, you know, they're crazy out of their mind, they're demonized in every way, shoot them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really simple. Like, it's, it's really, really simple. Okay? Um, so... So, uh, yeah, if, if I needed to make that any clearer. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a real, there, there's a growing, there's a growing uh, uh, level of wickedness that's going to increase. And so, I mean, if someone is trying to harm your child, get between the person that's harming your child and the child. Don't just let your child be taken away. Well, Jesus said, be nice to everybody. That's not what he said. He said, turn the other cheek. He didn't say give your child over to somebody who's going to go do terrible things to your kid or give your home over or give your you over. You know what I mean? It's like there's a difference between persecution and the increase of wickedness. And I think that we will grow in our understanding about those things and even grow in how we handle them because there's going to be a ton of people martyred and there's going to be a bunch of people that today you're supposed to be martyred, die. And that's going to be the plan. Uh, but that's very different than someone breaking into your home or trying to take your kid or those kinds of situations. So a uh, great question and one that we're going to need to have growing understanding of uh, as the time moves on. So the question is related to demon worship and uh, false religions. And specifically, let's focus on, uh, you know, Buddhism and uh, Islam, uh, just because they're a couple to be able to really uh, connect to. It's absolutely demon worship. Absolutely. Uh, there really is a demon named Allah, and he is really being worshipped, like big time. And actually, the whole end of the age uh, reality is deeply connected to the rise of Islam in the earth. Deeply connected. And so, uh, it's not the whole picture, but it's a significant part of the picture. And so, uh, you know, it's just, it's interesting that at the end of the age, uh, the, the, the division of... Uh, of Isaac and Ishmael and the two tribes that arose from Isaac and Ishmael and the, the two uh, uh, deities that are being worshipped from the sons of Isaac and the sons of Ishmael. Uh, Ishmael uh, rising up so much within the Islamic world, that, that thought process. But there's plenty of people who are descendants of Isaac that are the most wicked people in the world. And there's plenty of people that are descendants of Ishmael that are Lovers of Jesus that are the best. See, it's not like it's a universal reality, but when you trace back the roots. So the, the rise of uh, demon worship, I think actually one of the gateways that will make it so much more uh, 
palatable and acceptable is the, the worship of Allah. And uh, I mean, when you got right now somewhere around a billion, I don't know the number, some giant number of Muslims across the earth that are praising and praying to Allah five times a day, you have a giant problem and you are feeding wickedness on planet earth and creation is groaning because of that. Now, that's not all that's going on, but it's a significant part. And so absolutely the worship of, uh, of a demon, whether you know it's a demon or don't know it's a demon, if you're worshiping it, you're empowering it. Absolutely. And so the spirit of Islam is rising in the earth. And that's part of the reason we continue to see the increase of radical terrorist groups and, and jihadists. And because Allah is being fed <laughs> and Allah is a demon. And I ministered in a Muslim culture and I saw the oppressive realities when the, when the spirit of Islam has control over a culture, over a people. It is dark. It is oppressive. It, it is uh, it's demonic. And you can feel it. Um, so great question. And not only those two, uh, there's, play, there's people all over the earth that are worshiping all kinds of stuff that's not right. Uh, but those are absolutely part of it. And I believe we'll play into it, but it's, there's going to be so many demons getting worshipped. There's going to be so many demon cults, and they won't call themselves cults. I mean, there's just going to be so many different things uh, that are going to rise, and that's like the most disgusting, terrifying thing imaginable, and that's the hour our kid's going to grow up in. Uh, that's why we do this Bible study on Saturday nights. I mean, that's, that's why we're going through the book of Revelation, because this is truth. This is reality. We don't have to like it or enjoy it or think it's exciting or cool or want to be anything, be a part of it. It doesn't matter. It's coming. So because it's coming, we're doing a study on the book of Revelation. It's going to take us 90 years. Because we want to get it ingrained, we want to understand so we can help prepare ourselves and prepare our kids. And if there's time, prepare their kids. It's a great question. So the question is, related to Antichrist, he's a human and he's going to grow up. So he's going to be zero, and then he's going to be 10, and he's going to be 20, and he's going to be 30. How much revelation does the Antichrist have about his personhood, his assignment, and then also about his disdain for the harlot Babylon, which he is going to set the, city, the key city on fire, take over the system, and completely control a system that will be put in place before him? He'll take it over and make it way, way worse. How much revelation does he have of that growing up? I don't know, but I do think there will be parallels to the Antichrist and the Christ. I think Jesus growing up had a growing level of revelation of who he was, what his mission was. I mean, he's 13 years old or 12 or whatever it was, and he's like, did you not know I need to be at my father's house? Who told you? You're 12, dude. How did you know that? The Spirit of the Lord was resting on him. Well, the Spirit of the Antichrist is alive in the world right now, we're told in 1 John. The Spirit of the Antichrist will rest physically on the Antichrist and will help him grow up into his calling. And so I think he will have growing level of revelation and Scary enough, Bible study, in order for him to understand his future and his calling and his destiny. And I think he will definitely know at some point in there, oh, Babylon. Oh, yeah, I'm so glad they're building that. I'm going to burn that thing down. And uh, so I think he will absolutely have a revelation uh, of that at some point, certainly before the day he does it, uh, but probably a growing reality as he's finding himself in the storyline. But similarly... I think the two witnesses will know who they are. I think, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of players that are going to know who they are in the, in the scenario and like what part they're supposed to play and 
and how, how they're supposed to rise. And not just the top three guys on this side and top three guys on that side. I think there's going to be lots of people that are going to have a growing revelation of what their part and their call is in the final generation so that they can be prepared to accomplish it. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.